nobody is born stupid. Everybody has got talent. You know, if you're stupid, you can learn. If you're lazy, there's no tanda ubat, you know. You're listening to Foodie Canteen, a food podcast brought to you by Good Foodie Media. I'm your host, Kesselin. Today, all the way from Trangganu, we have Professor Datuk Zamzani with us, a celebrity chef and the founder of Rich Talents International College. He's here today to share his vision and probably some of his humour as well. Hi, Dato. Welcome to the Hello. show. Hello. How are you, Castle? I'm good. How are you? I just want to <laughs> say, first of all, congratulations on the Dato ship. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank how, you so how much. How has it been since? It's still the same for me. <laughs> I don't feel any different. Okay, okay. <laughs> I am still the same old me. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing should change you. Nothing should change you. I mean, this, this confirmation... But it doesn't do me any, um, it doesn't make me feel, uh, of course I feel very proud. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me a different person. I am still the same old me. Glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Terengganu. That's where you're from. Sure. And can you tell ah. me more about the state and this town that you grew up in? Okay. The state is... Um, yeah, well, the state is known as Negri, Negri Pesisi Ai, or Pesisi Pantai, or Pesisi Ai, or something like that. And with the uh, tagline, Negri Cantik Budaya Menari. So it is in the, on the coastal line uh, of the East Coast between uh, Kelantan and Sopahang. And uh, growing up in, in Kuala Tunggan in particular, I... Um, have been very fortunate to know and to be uh, to have tasted a lot of uh, traditional, authentic uh, dishes from the East Coast, uh, which is uh, a lot of it based on uh, based on fish lah. So growing up, I did you want to hear about me growing up? Yes, or? of course. I want yeah, to know okay. everything. <laughs> I uh, okay. I uh, was brought up by a single mom, my my late mother, Cik uh, Bintu Muhammad, Allah, uh, Arwah Cik Bintu Muhammad, was a single mother. She was working, uh, she did not go to school, she, did, uh, she didn't know how to read, she didn't know how to write, but she was working as a, a hospital attendant at... Uh, Kuala Tunggan Hospital. Now it's known as uh, Hospital Besar Sultan Anur Sahira. So, uh, and I uh, grew up with my late grandmother as well, who was living with us, as well as my elder sister. So there were four of us in the family. Then after my grandma passed away at uh, um, at the age of, I think, 80. She was 80. I was 11 years old at that time. So there were three of us. And uh, my my oh yeah and my sister got married when i was seven so my sister already left she she's 10 years older than me so she has already left the house so there were three of us and my when my uh, grandmother passed away so i only lived with my mom it was quite difficult uh no i wouldn't say quite difficult difficult in that sense but difficult because when uh, my mom was working especially uh during the night shifts you know, and uh, I used to uh, sleep with my late grandmother. 
and now my grandmother is gone. So it was quite scary to be staying home alone. So most of the time, I would follow my mom to work. So I would sleep in the hospital ward. I brought together my uh, school uniform and I took a, a shower in the hospital a toilet. That's how I grew up. I basically grew up in the hospital. Lah. <laughs> and I witnessed a lot of things happening that happened in the hospital at that time. My mom was working at the in, in the in, like a trauma ward. Mm-hmm. So imagine that the all the trauma, all the accidents, all the concussions, all the uh, injuries that I witnessed growing up. And how how did that play a part in your childhood or even now adulthood? I'm still scared. (laughs) (laughs) But you take it like jokingly, you're not like traumatized. Yeah, you know what I saw? Because last time, there were two rumah mayat, the old old setting hospital, Kayu Hospital, uh, two rumah mayat. So when I I was cycling from school uh, to the hospital to meet my mom, because she finished at Mm 2pm, I went back from uh, school, maybe at 1 or 1 something, I cannot remember. Um, Then I saw there were a lot of people gathered at the room of my aunt. So, you know, curious me, I went and take a, I took a peek. Then I saw, like that, there was one Chinese man. Uh-huh. He went for, I don't know, to cut timber, to cut bala or whatever. That bala happened to crush him. He imagine all the... Uh, I couldn't sleep for a few days. Same thing with uh, another incident uh, during the 80s, I think, um, 70s, it, uh, late 70s, there were a lot of Vietnamese refugees who fled from Vietnam uh, due to war, fled to Trungano. So along the way, by boat, along the way, some of them drowned and everything, you know, and after a few days, after a week, then they found the body, they brought it to the Rumah Maya, and then the body was really very smelly and rotten and all. And um, I encountered that too. Again, I couldn't sleep for a few days. (laughs) Your childhood is so... Like thrilling, traumatic, yeah, traumatic. <laughs> and- I've seen, you know, Machi. There was one Machi. I remember, there was one Machi. Uh, she worked in a kampung, 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 and she passed uh, by um, uh, a coconut tree. Then the coconut fell onto her head. Imagine the coconut tree is very tall. Yeah. Ah, the coconut, the impact. Her eyes were like bulging out like that. I'm 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 not sorry to our listeners. Like we are starting the podcast with all these like horror stories, and we are just laughing away. Part of me growing up, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Okay, and talk about growing up. Like, how were you like as a student in school? Ah, mm, I hated school to begin with because I was a regular absentee, and growing up as a chubby kid, I was. Um, constantly ridiculed by uh, my uh, the fellow students and also uh, the teachers which is uh, big, uh, well, nowadays it becomes a very big bully thing you yeah. know the bully thing mm-hmm. is I mean a lot of people are aware about it now but uh, back then it was it was kind of normal thing being called names you know even teachers also called me uh, funny names 
and, and that resulted in me uh, not liking to go to school. So when I was a regular absentee, of course, I have I missed a lot of classes. So it made it made me. Um, I did not know any that much of what I learned in school because I missed so much, especially in mathematics. You know, mathematics, you got to do uh, the exercises every day, right? Mm-hmm. But if you miss a few lessons, then there you are. So uh, I, even now, when I, I remember when I was in standard three or standard four, the whole school, I'm telling you, the whole of my primary school called me... Um, because I was chubby, uh, it was started by a teacher, Makan Biskut Eropa. Wow. I, I, I was feeding, I was stuffing my face with uh, European cookies that made me fat. You know, all other, well, there were, there were a few other fat kids too, but I don't know, I was, I was the center of attention. <laughs> yeah, and, and at the but, 15 years old, you were weighing at like, 90 kilograms. And that was I, when I was in uh, 15 years old. Uh, okay. I started I started putting on weight when I was 10, I think. Then, but at that time, I was, of course, very, very cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like bullying you and up until university, you kind of struggled with your weight. Yes, yes. Uh, then from, from the primary school, it started, the bullying started in primary school. Then it went on to the secondary school because uh, a lot of the kids from the primary school went on to the same uh, secondary school. Mm. So the culture or the, it's not a, the culture, the, the saga continues. Wow. Ah, the saga continues again. I was being called names and this and that and then that. And uh, until, but that's why I didn't have any, um, I didn't have best friends at school. I did not have even friends uh, when, during my school years. And I mean, looking back now, you are talking about it so lightly, of course, because you are at this point where you look past it. But I'm yeah. sure during that time, it was very tough because you're still a kid, you're a teenager, you don't know what's going on and like, why me, even though right. there are other fat kids around? Like, yeah, did yeah, it affect yeah. your life in any way, physically or like emotionally? I was very, uh, yes, emotionally, I was an introvert. I hated being seen uh, in public, I hated being called in public. When, for example, if the the teacher called out my name in class, I, I if I mean, if I had the opportunity to bury my my head in the sand, I would have. You know, that was uh, how traumatic it was. Um, but nowadays, well, call me baby. <laughs> <laughs> and when did that change for you? Like, when, when oh, was the after, after America? After okay. America, then after high school, then I went on to to further my studies in uh, UITM. Uh, same thing. Um, also, not not bully per se, but um, but you know what? In UITM, I started realize because in primary school, in secondary school, I never thought of myself as uh, a, a studious per, a studious person, uh, as somebody who can study, somebody who's got the brain. No, I never thought. I thought I was I was stupid. I was useless to certain extent. Uh, but when I went to I went on to ITM, uh, I remember during my first semester, a uh, first semester, I scored. Uh, I got the highest uh, grade uh, during one of the tests, uh, food fundamentals. I remember, and I did not know how uh, CGPA system worked. 
So I showed my test result to one of my lecturers. Now he is the dean of uh, the hospital, uh, faculty of hospital and tourism in UITM, uh, Professor. Uh, Dr. Salehuddin, I showed it to him. He said, uh, Cik Saleh, at that time, we, uh, we called him Cik Saleh. Cik Saleh, this is my, uh, my test paper. Oh, Sam, you did well. You know what? You can study. That, it was at night. I, w- I went to the kitchen uh, to help him out, uh, help him out with uh, some event preparation in the kitchen. He told me that, you know what? You can study. You're stupid. That point onwards, I never turned back. Wow. He made me realize my potential. Well, one, one teacher, professor just changed yes, life. Yes, yes. And, and there was another one also, Professor uh, Madia Dr. Jihamdin. I was very close to him. I was his protege. And he also came uh, up from the kind of a similar background. Not similar background. He had, got, he had about 12 siblings, I think, 12 including him. But he did not do well in school. He took his... Uh, MCE at that time, twice. So that opened my eyes that even though you fail once or twice or three times, you still have the opportunity to get up and uh, ex- be excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. you are so passionate about education, which we're going to talk yes. more about it later. Um, mm-hmm. But you did a surgery, a weight loss surgery. Can you share with <laughs> us and talk more about that? That was about 14 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. It was in 2007, if I'm not mistaken, or 2006, 2006, I think it was six, um, six or seven. Lah. Yeah, um, growing up as a, as a big kid, I mean, a, a very well, fat, lah, you know, so, um, I, don't, I, I don't care, you know, I was fat anyway. Um, I remember when I was in Form 3, I was already 90, 90 kilograms, and I tried all sorts of diet programs. I tried even duramine to suppress my appetite, but it did not work because I, I just love food too much, you know? And, and um, there was no other way. And I tried, when I was studying in London in 2003 and 2005, uh, I searched on the internet. Uh, and I found that there were, I think there was a, there were a few uh, clinics or hospitals in the UK that did do that. Uh, but at that time, it cost five thousand pounds, and um, five thousand pounds, and the exchange rate was uh, at that time was seven point zero for every pound, seven ringgit for every pound. That was, I, you know, as a student, in two thousand three, it's a, a lot of money at that time. Yeah, five thousand yeah. pounds. I said that there was like 35,000 yep, or, yep. or maybe more. So I, I that, that just died away, you know, or maybe I just kept it, you know, behind that. So when I came back and uh, I started working again at one of the private colleges in PJ, in the Masajaya, uh, it was KDU College. So I, you know, it just occurred to me one day, ah, why do I, I, why do I search it? Maybe there's somebody or some place, some hospital in, in Malaysia that do that. True enough and lucky enough uh, that HUKM in Chiras offered that. But at that time, it was, um, it was such a, a very, very new thing. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I was among the first few to have done it. And uh, being the extremist that I am, I talked to the surgeon, Professor Dr. Jasmi Adi Yaakob. Huh? Full name, you know, the play play. 
You know, I he he presented to me with a few options, gastric balloon, and maybe one more. And the last one is gastric bypass. But gastric balloon, you put it in for about uh, six months to uh, make you feel full. Then when you lost the weight with after six months, you have to take it out. But I know myself. I say after stay, after the uh, take it out. I'm going to start eating a lot again. I'm going to gain, uh, regain the weight, right? So um, I thought, you know what? I want to go to the extreme one, gastric bypass, stomach stapling. Uh, so yeah. So and at that time, it just came back from the UK and I started working again. Of course, I didn't have the the I, I didn't have that much money. So I said, how much did this cost? He says about eighteen. Uh, no. It was 10,000. He told me it was 10,000. Then I calculated, calculated, okay, I can put some on this credit card, some on this credit card, you know. And because after I came back from the UK, I my apartment that I booked was ready to be handed over. So I had to pay to take the keys, a few thousand to take the keys. And um, hold on a second. Uh, uh, I had to uh, pay to take the keys. Then, then at the same time, so I needed to start working again. So I needed a car. So I bought one car. So I didn't have that much money left. Um, but ten thousand is something that I could afford, lah. You know, put on this credit card, that credit card. Then uh, I went ahead with the with the surgery, and I was hospitalized for ten days. Days, and within the first eight days, I know. Uh, First ten days, I lost eight kilos. I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't drink anything. <laughs> eight kilos in ten days. Well, who was the challenge? Who was? The... <laughs> <laughs> and that just uh, changed. I weighed about hundred and thirty-six kilos uh, at that time. I think, or maybe it could have been even more. Maybe hundred forty. I don't know. Uh, but I lost um, eight kilos in the first ten days. That was quite an achievement. That that boosted up, boosted up my spirits. That I can I can do this, you know. And uh, after after checking out from the hospital, then uh, I still couldn't eat for I don't know many months. You know, just maybe one spoonful of maybe half spoonful of yeah, so rice. That's very extreme. Like for every meal, that's what you are eating. Yeah, I couldn't wow. even one piece of small chicken full. And how long did that go on for? Oh, it went on for many years. No, and can yeah. I ask how how many? The impact. The right impact now? was I I lost weight uh-huh. very rapidly. Yep. You know, like every week losing a few kilos. Yeah. The, impl- the implication was my skin got very dry because I didn't. I was malnourished. Okay. And I was malnourished because mm-hmm. the, whatever that I took in was not enough. Not only was not enough. Yeah. Uh, it was. It, it didn't get absorbed. The nutrient, all the nutrients, was not being absorbed by my body because of the. I don't know how it works down there. You know. So my I, because I couldn't. That, I couldn't drink that much water anyway to begin with after the surgery. And um, the skin was very dry. I looked so haggard. I looked much older than I was. Yeah. But now you look good. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have to touch your face and check. <laughs> okay, let's, let's uh, shift gears here, here a little bit. When did your life as a chef begin? Ah, it was... Um, 
1990, I started my uh, diploma chef training course uh, in UITM. Then that's where it began. At first, I hated the course because it was, uh, I mean, the classes were very long. Long. One class, one kitchen class lasted for six hours and I was being big, you know, my feet were hurting, my legs were all aching, you know, and at first I, I hated it, I hated it. And at that time, because I didn't have any other choice, because I I only qualified um, for diploma in chef training and also diploma in secretarial science. Because of my great two reasons, I only got five credits. Ngam ngam, yeah. Ngam ngam, cari makan, you know. Uh, yeah, ngam ngam, cari makan. And uh, but uh, after that, no, after graduation, I worked in Holiday Villa Subang. I worked at Swiss Garden, and I trained in Plangi Beach Resort Angkawi, Hayat Regency Kuantan, and also Kuala Lumpur Hilton, the old one mm-hmm. on Jalan Spanish Mail. Um, still, at that time, I think I liked uh, pastry uh, department more than the hot kitchen because being big, you know, I sweat a lot and um, it was not very comfortable, you know, but I love being in the pastry kitchen because I got to eat a lot of cakes, a lot of sweet things, pastries and all, plus the pastry kitchen was fully air-conditioned. <laughs> That's a smart choice. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, but during training, I remember when the chef asked last time. Nowadays, hotels uh, or uh, they they buy peeled onions, peeled garlic, peeled ginger oil. During uh, back in those days, we got to peel our own potatoes. Everything peeled manually. So I would take the bags of onion, ke potato, ke garlic. Ke. I went to the walk-in chair. You know what, in Chile, I took one big prio, I sat down and started peeling, lah. no sweating. <laughs> There's like all the chef hacks right here. Yes. <laughs> and the chefs, whenever they wanted to look for me, they go into the chillers. Lah. <laughs> there you are, and there you are. And at that time, the chillers got a lot of food, man. Strawberries, big ones down by peeling. <laughs> and, and let's talk a bit about your experience in New York City. You were there working for, I think, three years. Yes. And yes. I was actually reading uh, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, like his book. And he talks Ooh. a lot about the kitchen culture. If I remember, it's in New York City. He painted a story yes. of how it's just the kitchen culture is super intense, almost toxic with working yes. hours Ooh. starting from 6 30 mm. in the morning till 12 midnight. Do you have that, a similar that experience? If you... Uh, that if you work in a uh, fine dining Michelin star restaurants, uh, non Michelin star restaurants, it is not that intense. How, how was still... your kitchen experience there or restaurant experience? Oh, I, I never worked in any Michelin star restaurant, but I worked in fine dining restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is that um, whatever that you have on the menu, especially in Michelin star restaurants, they call it Michelin. Michelin star restaurants, you have to make sure all items are available and every single piece is, is an art. So everything must be uh, fine. Your work must be fine and fine and refined and refined and refined. But um, I had the opportunity to work in one of the Asian restaurants in Greenwich Village in Manhattan. Uh, I started at 12 o'clock and um, I finished at, I think, 11 or, 11 or 12 o'clock midnight. So that was a 12-hour shift 12 every day. And I had to take two trains uh, 
to come and another two trains to change trains uh, to go home. And um, I, I was fine with it. I mean, I didn't really like uh, changing trains, you know. And But the only thing that broke the, the, the camel's back was um, I had to cook pork. And how was Every, that for you? Uh, first, my first encounter that was very difficult. And first, so, I mean, growing up in I've never seen pork in my entire life. And uh, working in, in Malaysia, in Malaysian hotels, all halal. Yes. You know, having to do pork chops. <laughs> and they know about but your they, religion and beliefs, Yeah, right? of course, of course. Yeah. But, you know, it was work. Because when we were, I mean, if you are in Malaysia, other people from other religions, other cultures, other beliefs, they can tolerate you. They can understand, okay, you're Malay or Muslim. You, I mean, even we go out with our uh, non-Muslim friends, they will not order something non-halal. Yes, that's right. You know, they, maybe they might drink alcohol, but by B, they will not order. Mm-hmm. Can, but when I worked in New York, they don't care. It was your job. It's your job. You accepted wow. this responsibility. So go ahead and marinate the bloody pork chops. <laughs> Then every night before going home, I got to go back. There was a little garden at the back of the restaurant. I got to sama with the with the nah. And sama is one thing. But when whenever I was grilling the pork chops, I was marinating it. And of course there were splashes of juices or whatever. You know, I felt very I felt dirty. You know, I felt dirty. I'm I'm I don't mind, I don't mean to say that pork is very dirty. Tea. I don't want to, to sound insulting to, to non-Muslims, but for me as a Muslim, never had to hand, never, never ever handling uh, pork before in my life. It was something like, uh, I felt so uneasy, you know, uh, but now I'm okay, but I don't handle it, lah. but yeah. I don't mind. I, I, I travel overseas, I travel to Europe, I went to the shop that, that's hanging, you know, especially in Spain, they hang uh, hams, you know, I, it's okay now, you know, it's okay now. But, but back then, it was something very new, kind of something that you never encountered in your entire life. Of course, something, it, it was kind of like life-changing, like, and I really feel, I really felt uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. I felt dirty, you know. And you were there for, and, uh, for a while, right, at that restaurant? Yeah, I studied. I studied in the US first. I studied at Johnson and Wales University in Rhode Island. After I completed my uh, associate degree and bachelor's degree in one and a half years, and I moved to New York City to work um, at the restaurant. And um, after I think I can't remember how many months, I just I, I couldn't take it anymore. I quit and I joined Malaysia Tourism Promotion Board. Yeah. And uh, that was um, really, really great. Oh, by the way, you asked me what was the changing point. Uh, who, who, what changed me to be who I am today, to be so flamboyant, so outgoing? It was America. Oh, yes, yeah. New York City. <laughs> yeah, it was America. Because, you know, Americans, they are very loud. They are very welcoming. They are fake. <laughs> to a certain extent. Fake. But yeah, they are. Americans are very fake. <laughs> Americans Wait, are very up. fake. Oh, but I, I love think, you. I love, no, but I think like me. New York City is like, they are not fake. They are real, but they just, 
Oh, they compliment you and then they move very fast. They, are, they don't yeah, stay in the Yeah, they moment. don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, they yeah. say, oh, I love you so much. It was the first time they see you. Is that fairly or fake? They're fake. Americans are, uh, they are very expressive. But it was good for me because I was an introvert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, being in a, in a country where majority of them are expressive, are very flamboyant, are very loud, that opened me up. Yeah. And I was and 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 at that time also I was I was able to open up about my uh feelings, yeah, you know, about my desires, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was it. Yeah. It was America that opened me up. Yeah, New York City <laughs> is a good place. Um you are also the founder uh, of Food Aid Foundation. Like can you tell yeah, us how did this how did this idea come about? Oh, it was in 2013. My good friend, Mr. Richie, um, he owns FMB facilities, which is one of the biggest uh, suppliers of FMB equipment in Malaysia. They supply to big hotels, they supply to large culinary competitions and all. <clears throat> I've known him uh, at the, in 2013. At that time, we've known each other for maybe four or five years already and he saw something in me i don't know he just wanted to stay because i mean he made it in life he has made it in life he wanted to be a saint now as a, a successful i mean as a businessman he is really successful very successful you know and he is uh, amongst the hospitality people the hotel the chefs and all everybody knows him so he wanted to be good he wanted to be, he said, I want to have an aircon in my heaven later on. That's what he said. <laughs> you know, uh, I want to have a good aircon. Uh, I don't want to be hot in, in heaven or maybe I don't know hell. But anyway. <laughs> He's going to listen to this. <laughs> Hopefully not. Okay. So uh, he, he needed some um, people with uh, specific specialties or specific skills. Um, to to uh, gather with him, to be with him, to be on board, to set up this uh, NGO, and setting up an, an NGO is not an easy task. First thing first, you have to have the model. But by a capital is one million. Pira capital is one million. It is considered as a Indian heart or something. I don't know. I mean, it's good that um, Aru is it Aru's registration of society. Ayla uh, Aru's. Um, set a limit that you have to have at least 1 million deposited into the account before you can apply for the license or whatever. Lah. So that, because uh, foundation is a yayasan, a lot of people use yayasan, uh, um, um, misuse the yayasan to gain ex, uh, personal wealth. So with Aroha setting up the, the benchmark, Minimum one million, so it prohibits, it deters a lot of those unscrupulous people from benefiting from this so-called yayasan for CSR, for NGO, for the needy, or whatever. Okay. So um, after discussing it for quite a long time, he got five of us himself as a founder, I co-founder, uh, Encik Karim for Davina, Davina Brahims, Brahims the airline catering. Um, Ronald, Mr. Ronald Tung, a lawyer, and another one is an architect. So five different backgrounds with uh, different kind of con- 
contexts, different kind of portfolio, different kind of um, experiences. Yeah. Ah. And, and for you, like you work in the restaurant industry, you must see a lot of food wastage on a regular basis. Oh, like, yeah. How yeah. do you reconcile the work you do for your this NGO charity and the work you do for your industry? Ah, well, yes, food service industry has got a lot of wastages. A lot of wastages. That's when Mr. Richie being in the industry for so long, seeing so many wastages being, I mean, food being thrown uh, around, he came up with this idea to save food from being thrown away. So he says, if a kilang mihun, for example, kilang Mihun, of course, you have got mihun everywhere, you know, all this, this little loose things. If you say, I just need you, he says, I just need them to sapu that, that, that crumbs or whatever not, give it back to me and I will take back to my, to my kilang. I process, I recook, I repack it and at the same time also I will extend the shelf life. Not only wastages, uh, I mean, for example, kalau uh, in the FMB industry, uh, hotel industry, we will work based on the expiration date. A few months before the food is expired, even though in Kilang, you cannot put that on shelves anymore. But the food is still edible. It's still not expired. Even though it is already expired, it still has got like three to five months of shelf, I mean, of, of life that you can still uh, cook and, and, and use. But most of the time, these are the things that they just throw away. And it's just a shame because so many, there's so many people who go to bed hungry every night. So that's what we are trying to do. We try to feed the hunger, eradicate the hunger by using all this. We don't call, uh, we don't call um, leftovers. We call this surplus. Sorry, can uh, you repeat surplus. that? Food surplus. Food surplus, got it. Ah, we don't call it leftover. Leftover, you can see either makanat abis. No, surplus, extra. So instead of throwing the extras away, give it to us, we'll make good of it. And today the foundation has helped and fed more than 7 million people. More than, I think so, yes. Yes, Uh, since 2013 until now, yes. The Mm. recent statistics that I saw, yes, correct. And especially with the MCO, is there anything you have seen that's not portrayed in mainstream media? Yeah, I I remember the first MCO, uh, even though there was a lockdown, but there were still many, many people who defied the government uh, mandate because it didn't go out that day. They had no food to feed their family, to feed themselves. So whether they liked it or not, they had to go out that day. But in it, so called guys pagi makan pagi. This is the reality. And there's so many people who um, who are not I'm not an unemployed who are who are who have got uh, I mean steady job, not steady job lah. I mean permanent job. They still are and uh, categorized under miskin banda. You know, miskin banda is defined if I'm not mistaken by wilayah persekutuan or MB MBP MBKL MBKL MBKL. Maju bandaraya MBKL lah. Kementerian Wilayah, and those people who earn 3,000 or more, I think, and 3,000 or less. They, they, yes, 
have like two, three thousand salary, tapi their family is big, they got children, they cannot afford to even rent a room in Kuala Lumpur and they are working in Kuala Lumpur. So they go to work in the morning, at night they go, you go back, go back to the street and tidur atas jalan. Uh, and these are the people that we help. Uh, okay? So it makes me feel very sad. I mean, before I joined uh, Food Aid Foundation, before we established Food Aid Foundation, we know the world's orang susah and all, but we did not really know in depth what does it really mean by orang susah. With this foundation, via this foundation, I know what it really means. And by understanding that, I am able to help even more effectively. Through using my contacts, using my expertise, and so on. Mm. Mm. And many chefs like they open restaurants, but few do I know that go on to start a college. And you started oh. one. Like, tell us about Rich <sighs> Talents International College. That what is this all <laughs> okay. about? What's going on? Yeah, um, I have always uh, since I realized my, my full potentials. You know that I can study, and. Um, I remember when I was in America also, I signed up as a tutor at the uh, university's learning center. And I found that teaching or maybe tutoring at that time uh, was very, is still even more so now, very therapeutic. Because I believe the more you teach, the more you learn. Uh, sometimes you know a subject matter. Uh, when you explain that particular subject matter to somebody else, you actually realize, oh, I've been understanding it on the, on the, on the surface value so far. But, but when you transfer the knowledge that you have to another person, you tend you to, to examine it further, explore on the subject matter even further and, and, and deeper and understand it even more, to be honest. And that's what I love about it. And to see, to see my students, um, that I, I'm able to turn uh, uh, somebody from maybe a, a school dropout, like I, I did not drop out, drop out lah. a school dropout or somebody young, uh, they say, oh, you cannot study, you're stupid or whatever, not into somebody that can contribute back to the society, contribute back to the economy. It's very rewarding. That is the ultimate satisfaction that I get personally as an academician. Okay, going back to uh, to uh, Rich Talents International College. I, after teaching at KDU for 12 and a half years, and when I was doing my master's in, in the UK, I, I was also teaching there uh, on a part-time basis for two years. Um, it was time for me uh, to step out from uh, KDU boundaries. And it happened at that time that my previous old colleague, very, very old colleague, about 15 years uh, prior to that, uh, suddenly contact, but, uh, contacted me. And uh, at that time, I, I was already chef some. I already started my TV shows and all. I, I, I was starting to get popular a bit. <laughs> God. Then she contacted me. I was, I was caught by, by surprise. You got hmm? this lady. I, I never thought she liked me when we were working together for a year. Suddenly, 
because she was a senior at that time and I was a very junior uh, staff, junior uh, culinary instructor. Uh, she said, oh, Zam, uh, this is who and who, you know, uh, let's do, let's start an academy. I, of course, not knowing that I didn't have that money, what kind of academy are we talking about? And I was teaching at KDU, a full-fledged college well-established, very well-known with thousands of students at that time. I was like, oh, okay, love, I just like, yeah, hey, just have a tea, you know? And we met, we met, and uh, we just had a series of meetings at Papa Rich, Kota Damansara Utama, that time. Now, now, chap lap already, lah. <laughs> but your college is only starting. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, now, but so we met there for like many, many hours after work, of course, until 10, 11, 12 o'clock midnight to discuss on, on how to do things or whatever. Now. And in less than six months, my previous college, I don't want to mention the name, is established. In less than six months, uh, God paved a very clear and good way for me. Like put it that way, lah. I believe in that. And um, after running, it was a very successful business venture. We had we had like more than one thousand graduates, but after running it. Um, more than about ten and a half years, uh, I I decided to sell my shares. Uh, then I started my uh, new Rich Talents International College in uh, Shahalam Section fourteen. So it was a brand new. Everything is larger with latest equipment, with larger capacity, nicer place, and uh, I am not sharing with anybody. This is only alone. And not a sole proprietor, but a sole syndrome perhaps. Because last time, syndrome perhaps, you have to have it. You have to have minimum two people, ma, can in 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 a company for syndrome perhaps. But nowadays they have changed the the uh, law a little bit. Now I am all alone. Easy for me to decide. Um, I I can just do whatever that I wanted to do without referring to anybody. Just to discuss with my students. I never had to get consent or approval or agreement from uh, from my show from my partners because and there's none. Do you think do you think education plays a big part if you want to become a great chef? Oh yes. You know what there was a study done in um, early 2000 if I'm not wrong or maybe no. No early 2000, early 1990s. And maybe 91, 92. It was done by Associate Professor Dr. Haji Hamdin, my lecturer, when he did his PhD uh, in uh, University of Sarawai. He did a study. His research was based on how long does it take from uh, for somebody with a formal education, formal education in culinary arts versus uh, the person who doesn't have anything. It takes between 10 to 15 years for somebody without education to become from zero to executive chef. Most of them never heat, never will never be able to smell, even smell that position as an executive chef. Versus somebody with a formal education, it takes a shorter route, maybe five, six years, seven years, I don't know. Depending on the person and depending on the skill level, depending on the performance of that particular person. And what's your view um, on this uh, culinary education here in Malaysia? It is growing, it's gaining popularity because maybe 15, 20 years ago, culinary arts education was for somebody who you, uh, who couldn't study. Uh, you are regard, you, they were regarded as, okay, you tak boleh belajar, you belajar masak lah, you bodoh. 
Ah, you, you bodoh, you're not academically inclined. So, pergi belajar potong bawang lah. Uh, potong, so, potong, I mean, does it mean potong. anything to you? Because uh, when we when you shared your story in the beginning, you said like how your credits was just enough for you to cherry makan. That's yeah. why you chose culinary. And then now it's like a full circle. You exactly. have this going you know on. What? Ah, no, because at that time, I never realized my potential. Remember I told you about Dr. Uh, Professor Dr. Sal- Dr. Salihuddin who opened my house? And he was the one who inspired me together with Dr. Actually, Dr. Haji Hamdin, uh, Professor Madia Dr. Haji Hamdin, was, uh, who played a very, very significant and, and big part in my academic life. You know, because I was with him almost 24-7. You know, I, he was my lecturer, but I slept at his place. I ate his food. He, he in a way, jaga me. But you see... You are, you will mimic the person or the company that you are associated with. That's so good. I totally agree. Yeah. If you go campur with a kutu jalan, you will become one. If you campur with academician, you will become one. If you campur with businessman, you will become one. Right? <laughs> and and for our listeners who's listening to this podcast, I don't know how dreams are, how big their dreams are, but if they yeah. ever want to start a college, like what are the challenges they oh, should okay. you have Co- been facing? Well, starting a co- you know what? Prior to my previous uh, starting up my previous college, I never ever ever imagined that I can myself be a businessman. Never ever have I ever imagined that I could own a company and employ people, you know. But like I said, God made it very easy for me to to achieve something that I have never even dreamt about before. It just happened. For example, just to become a celebrity, I never went to any audition because I was an introvert, remember? Okay. I never imagined myself talking, talking in public, giving speeches, giving lectures in public. No, no, never dream of that. But it became a real. It be, not. It, it did not became become a reality because I never dreamed about it. It just happened. And of course, okay. there's a lot of hard work and effort. Oh yes, like for sure. We cannot course, cancel that. Course. Like that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, after I left my previous college, of course, um, I had to start from zero again because Rich Talents International College was established uh, in uh, March uh, last year. But after I set up that the the, the company, we and also I rented a, 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 a space. In Bangunan uh, Kumpulan Muara Section 14 Shalam, I couldn't even begin the renovation because there was MCO. First MCO, second MCO, and third MCO. So we were stalled for more than half a year after I rented the place. Imagine. But lucky, Kumpulan Muara uh, Building did not, Building Management did not charge me for the rental. There were a lot of other businesses still have to pay rent. Even though they had to to close during MCO one two three whatever, they still had to pay. Maybe they enjoy a reduction of twenty percent, and that was it. Okay, uh, you you. I mean, we heard stories about um, KLCC food court operators having to pay still in full, and maybe a reduction of twenty percent for over three months. But I was very fortunate. I was very lucky that they were understanding. Thank you, Kupulan Muara. 
management. Uh, they were very understanding because I had I had not even started the renovation. How to pay rent? Where to get the Louis Bo Louis? <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what is the vision for Rich Talents International College? To grow bigger, to educate, to skill, and to certify. Um, as many Malaysians and international And it is students. open for all, right? Do you have to... Have... Open for all, open for all. We open for all from 16 years and above. Even though you do not have uh, not even a single credit uh, during uh, for your SBM, PT3, as long as you're 16 years of age, and you can write, you can read, you can count, and in Malay, they call it 3M. Membaca, menulis, mengira, and you have the sijil berhenti sekolah. Then you come to us. We'll make sure that you graduate with, I mean, from zero to skilled worker. And at the same time also, we find you a job. We do a job matching for you. Ah, so um, in in uh, I I always say you know what daripada you um uh, budak-budak ni merempit uh, kacau anak dari orang lepak tepi jalan hidup seduk gam kan oh, hi. <laughs> minum air ketum come here I train you I certify you I find you a job I build a for you to build a career. Can. Everything we count in for you. We prepare you for your dreams. Maybe you never. Maybe a lot of them also. Maybe are like me. You know, never dream. Never dream big. Never see. Maybe not even three steps ahead of them. They don't even see that. But come to Rich Talents International College. Under my guidance, I'm in my staff team of staffs guidance. We'll make you. Uh, Malay kita, kita, we say what now? Kita jadikan ang korang ni orang. Uh, jadikan orang. Meaning, we develop you to be a good person, um, a skilled person that can con- boleh cari makan, also can contribute back to the society, contribute via Bayar hutang, uh, hutang mak ayah maybe, can jaga your parents, can jaga your family, and also can bayar income tax. I love that. I love that. Um, you've yeah. got so many years of experience under your belt, and I'm sure you have seen many things. After yeah. all this time, uh, my question for you is: What is the meaning of life for you? Is <sighs> to be happy, to make your parents happy, to make your family happy, your friends happy, and being able to help others. Because see, yeah, no matter how much money you have, let's say if you are even a billionaire, if you do not have that even an ounce of happiness in you, it's meaningless. Money cannot buy happiness. No matter, you see, there's you can buy there's a little so bit <laughs> when when you're sad, yeah, you go I mean, shopping, you buy a little bit. But yes, but not for a long time. Temporary. Yes. Temporary. Yeah. Yes, you know you go go to uh, uh, pavilion by Hermes Birkin, whatever <laughs> not. Crocodile Hermes, two three hundred thousand US dollars a piece, maybe I don't know. You know, I never, I don't earn one, I own one, and I, I never imagined to. But again, I 
So far, I've been getting things that I never imagined. You never know. <laughs> Next thing, I will interview. Hello, crocodile. <laughs> okay. I ask this question as the final question to all of our guests. What are some local foods we must try uh, from your hometown, Trangano, if our listeners ever visit? I am forever willing to bring you as a guide to Trangano because I love the food so much. You, whenever you are in Trangano, you must try nasi dagang, of course. Okay, go try nasi dagang. Go to uh, at maybe three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon. Go to Gerai Kueh Gong Kapas. Oh, you find that more than hundreds, more than one hundred types of Trungganu punya kueh kueh traditional. You have to go to Pasar Batu Nam in the morning and in the afternoon also. Go to Pasar Payang. And apart from Nasi Dagang, of course, you must, must, must try Keropok Leko. Keropok Leko in Terengganu and Keropok Leko you find Pasar Malam here. Those are not Keropok Leko, those are chewing gum. You know? <laughs> it's my I favorite. Cannot, I just love uh, it to dip with the chili. Like, uh, yes, tapi you see, when you go to Terengganu, the chili sauce is even different. Ah, when you buy keropok, they give you together with chili sauce. Ah, kan? Then in Trungganu, you might hear they all goreng the keropok, right? Yeah. In Trungganu, you should cuba keropok rebus. Ah, keropok rebus, they macam, after they gentil the dough tu kan, they gentil, 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 then they pour in boiling water until the keropok floats, mana they masak. Like inilah, like you do fish balls. Okay. The Chinese fish balls, can they get they get they get throw in hot water, boiling water, and they when when their fish balls to fish balls to float, masak they take out. Then you can eat like that because it's a lot sweeter. Or you cool it down and you goreng like you find it lah. But the the keropok that you find here, I I uh, was informed that it's not even made in Tunggano. It's made in Sentul punya kilang. So it's not keropok leko, it's keropok kaji. <laughs> Jangan kena tipu. I love how you are just making us drool and then you throw in a bit of yeah. sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> then banyak lagi uh, pulut lepe, pulut panggang. Because a lot of Trungganu uh, dishes are based on fish. You see, kerupuk uh, leko is fish. Nasi dagang punya lauk is fish. Uh, pulut panggang, or we call it pulut lepe, the inti inside is fish. Um, karipa also karipa fish. Ah, seronok ikan kereta ikan. Lepas tu, koleh lemak also fish. Mostly banyak fish. You know, our lauk semua kebanyakannya fish. Ah, and when you, oh, you, you, when you go to Tengganu, you makan nasi lemak, mesti makan nasi. In Tengganu, there are only two lauk for nasi lemak. Either ikan bilis or ikan tongkol. We don't have kerang lah, paru lah, uh, kalikai lah. <laughs> Kita tak ada rendang kai lah. Tak ada. Okay? Uh, ikan sambal ikan tongkol atau sambal bilis. You must try the sambal ikan tongkol. And in the morning, ha, I get excited lah talking about kan? In in the morning, we makan nasi. We have got nasi dagang, nasi lemak, nasi minyak, nasi kuning, uh, nasi kunyit, nasi... Um, Nasi, nasi kerabu or nasi-nasi-nasi. Because, why? Because if you see the geographically, Terengganu is nearby the coast. Ma. Because ikan senang nak dapat. 
Another thing is a lot of Tengganu people are fishermen. So before they go ke laut to cari ikan one whole day, they must makan nasi dulu in the morning so that it gives them energy to kerja. Right, ma. that's right. Ah. Tato, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all these goodies. Um, I'm sure our listeners are going to run to Tengganu and try all of this stuff. Yes, please. Yes, do, please. And really, thank you for sharing your story today. Um, thank you for having me. Your uh, surgery to up to now, what you are doing um, with uh, this Rich Talents EDU. I'm so excited and yeah. I have to re-listen to this conversation again to absorb fully <laughs> what you taught today. Um, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, and you too. Thank you for having me, and thank you. I hope all your um, your listeners of this podcast uh, would be able to benefit a little bit from uh, whatever that we've been sharing uh, today and um, get inspired. Remember, nobody is born stupid. Everybody has got talent. Yes, everybody, everybody uh, nobody is born stupid, but a lot of people are lazy. You know, if you're stupid, you can learn. If you're lazy, there's no tada ubat. You know, ah, uh, so uh, keep inspiring, and uh, and shine, shine. You all have got the potentials in you. Don't let anybody tell you any other way. I mean, any other way. You have just listened to Foodie Canteen. This show is produced by me, your host Castle Lim, and co-written by Sulin Chang. Foodie Canteen Podcast is made possible by the amazing team at Good Foodie Media. Check us out on Instagram and YouTube at Foodie Canteen for more. Follow us for brand new episodes every Friday. See you next week.